blessing and a privilege to be before you here today. And uh, as we're opening up God's word uh, this morning, I'd just like to take a moment to be thankful for uh, the leadership of our church, Pastor Patrick and Sergio, in their devotion to the word and uh, their shepherding of our flock. And I think oftentimes we can take it for granted, uh, especially today because you have me. So please come back if you're a visitor next week and if you're Pastor Patrick, it's a lot better. Um, but uh, this, uh, this morning, I'd just like to really be thankful to them. Although they weren't preparing a sermon this morning, uh, they definitely labored a lot with me and uh, prayed a lot, and their hand is definitely in this. Uh, so it's just, uh, it's just a blessing to be uh, before you guys. And uh, Peter was writing to uh, a church that was struggling with false teachers and false prophets in 2 Peter. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you want to turn there to 2 Peter and that's not something we may immediately be struggling with in our church today, but something we definitely do struggle with is the lies and deception in the world around us. And that reality exists, um, that uh, there, there's constantly lies, there's deception, uh, and there's false prophets and false teachers uh, that try to lead us astray from God. And this especially happens when we're caught up in trials and hardships. We open up ourselves to anxiety, fear, and worry. And when we cling on to these and we don't submit these to the Lord, uh, oftentimes what, we, what happens is we make ourselves vulnerable to the deceptions of our mind and the deceptions in the world around us. But Peter is writing to a church to combat those lies and deceptions. He has a plan set out for them, and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. So I'd just like to dwell on the fact that, like, what's our mindset when we walk through trials, persecution, uh, when we walk through hardships in life? Are we focused on the truths of scripture? Are we focused on Christ? Are we focused on things above? Or are we caught up in our anxieties and worries to the extent that we aren't able to express those Christian characteristics that we ought to express, that love to our brothers, that godliness, that righteousness? Uh, because we're so focused in and of ourselves and those lies, we tend to walk away and go astray. But Peter is saying here in 2 Peter uh, that we have been given the grace and the knowledge that we need, the grace and the peace that are from the Lord through the knowledge and promises of God. So would you turn with me to chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 2 through 4. And it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. Would you bow with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning to come before your feet, to look at Second Peter and understand how you have given us grace and peace in you. We pray, Lord, that as, you, as we explore these words, that you'd enable me to speak with clarity and that uh, your word uh, would come to us through your spirit and that we'd be having open hearts and open ears to what you have to say to us this morning. We commit this time into your hands. Your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. So as I said, Peter's writing... Second Peter to a church that is combating the beliefs of these men who are, who are trying to lead the church astray through false doctrine and false prophets. It's similar to the book of Jude. Um, and what happens is false teaching is very appealing to the ear because it takes the truth that we already know, maybe from the scriptures, but it slightly twists it. It alters it. 
And it often comes up in the church or in our lives in a way that we don't expect it to. Peter goes on in, in the second chapter of this book, and he really in depth like describes what these false prophets are like. He, a few of the characteristics are they forsake the right way. They speak arrogant words of vanity. They entice the fleshly desires. And, and it doesn't even begin to exhaust the whole list that Peter goes through, but it gives us a little idea of what these men are trying to do to the church. Oftentimes, we ourselves end up doing this to ourselves. Oftentimes, in our anxiety, fear, and worry, that we lead ourselves astray by focusing on the future when we can't even see it, and we try to come up with what the future is going to hold for us, but instead we end up lying to ourselves. But the scriptures promise us rest in the Lord. Look at this first phrase with me. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace. This is God's grace. This is grace that he gives to the unmeritorious sinner. This is the grace that was delivered to us by Christ's work on the cross. And because of that grace, we also have peace with God. We have a re restored relationship with him. But above and beyond that, God also gives us grace to walk through every trial, every hardship of this life. And he does that by giving us peace in each circumstance. And because we have that peace, we have that grace to approach that situation. And I hope you're seeing this multiplying aspect of grace and peace, grace upon grace, peace upon peace. So you put an accountant up here, you're going to get a little bit of accounting. I think of compounding interest uh, with a loan or an investment. You end up putting money into bank. What happens is the interest grows that money by a little next month. But the next time it grows, it's going to grow at a greater amount because you have more money because of that interest that came as a result of the interest rate. So grace and peace upon uh, grace upon grace, peace upon peace, is a multiplying aspect that Peter is talking about here. But how is that grace and peace ours? How how do we have that? It says, in the knowledge of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are the possessions of the believer through the knowledge of Jesus, our Lord. This is the knowledge of the gospel. This is the foundation of grace and peace, that we, in the work and person of Christ, that he already paid our sins on the cross. He gave these to be our possessions from his work on the cross. So this is not some sort of feeling that we have. It's not an intuition. It's not an emotion that we come up with uh, this grace and peace. It's not a personal experience, but it is the revealed truth that is in the scriptures. That's what we look at in Romans 10, 17. It says that faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. It's a knowledge. And I think it's important to look at this word knowledge because it's going to come up again and again, not only in this passage, but passage, but it's used 16 times in this short epistle. It's Peter's solution to approaching false prophets and false teachers. It's his approach to deceit and lies. The only way that you can combat lies and deceit, untruths, is if you have the true doctrine, if you have what is true, the true knowledge, if you have the scriptures, if you have that knowledge of Christ. So is that what we have when we are combating our own fears and our own deception, our own lies, worries, and anxiety? Are we holding to the truths of Christ to ultimately to assure us of the destiny that we ultimately have in eternity with him? This is the knowledge that will bring us comfort despite the circumstances around us. It's the, it's the knowledge that as we're walking through this trial that God is still being glorified. It's that knowledge that God is using this for our sanctification. It's that knowledge that he's working all things for our good, for those who believe in him. It's, those, it's that pieces of knowledge from scripture which keep us secure 
in that grace and peace. And Peter's instructing us to cling on to that knowledge in Christ. But why will that knowledge lead to grace and peace? How, where's the connecting aspect, right? So we say grace and peace through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But knowledge oftentimes doesn't lead to that grace and peace. We don't often immediately feel it just because we know it. Look at the next verse with me. It says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. Seeing that his divine power is granted to us. In other words, some translations use the word for his divine power. This is the reason. This is the reason we have grace and peace in every trial. And the word here that's used is granted. And this is a really beautiful word. And I'd like to expound on it a little. In the Greek, it's called doreme. And the word is only used three times in the New Testament. And that comes a little surprising because it's just the word granted. And it's very synonymous to the word give or gave. And that's used about 413 times in the New Testament. But Peter specifically chooses the word granted. And it's only used three times, two of them being in this, these few verses that we're looking at this morning. And the word has a meaning of bestow gratuitously or bestow graciously. There's an added weight than the word simply give or gave. And furthermore, the tense of the word implies that it happened in the past, but it has lasting implications to the present and the future. Okay, so let's take a step back from all that study of the words. I'm not great with grammar myself. But what this means is that God has granted in the past. He has already done the work. We don't have to ask for it, seek it out. We don't have to search for it. It's already been done in the past, but its implications we are still experiencing today in the present day and to the future. He is so, so graciously bestowed to us, bestowed gratuitously, and we have absolutely no part in making it happen. It says it was by his divine power. The Lord, in his generosity, gives us all that we need for life and godliness. The Lord granted to us what we need to remain in him, to experience that grace and peace, despite the circumstances around us. So let's look at further what this has granted. What, what exactly is he granting here? What is this divine power doing? It says it is granting everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. The, the term is all-encompassing. It, it covers the extent to the self-sufficiency of the believer and God's promises and what God has granted. And so we understand that we are grant, what we are granted is completely sufficient for life and godliness in the face of the hardships of this life. So in facing the hard things in life, when we're combating our self-destructive worry and anxiety, the fear, that, the fear is that we would turn from God, that we would go astray from godly living. And that we'd be caught up in our anxiety and our fear and we're unwilling to submit to the Lord. And that trials would shake us, fears uproot us, anxiety leaving us crippled. But however, God has said that he has given us what we need to face that deception. God has granted to us everything. It's all encompassing. And he gives us life. And this is the life that we have in Christ. Christ was raised to, to new life and he raised us with him to that new life. And so the life that we live now, it's no longer what we live. It's Christ living through us. It's that promise that he is going to carry us to eternity. And it's not our own doing. It's that life we have in him. 
And therefore, when we encounter the persecutions or the misfortunes of this life, we can look at them and understand that there is, that we can have eternity in perspective. Last week, Pastor Patrick went through Psalm 73, and we were asking the question, why do the wicked prosper? Why does it seem the righteous life is so much harder to live? It seems that way. We know we ought to expect uh, persecution in this life. We know we ought to expect things not to go our way. Yet, when those things do happen, we don't have eternity in perspective, and so doubt creeps in. That's when we make ourselves vulnerable to the lies of this world. But when we understand that we have life in Christ, when we understand the end is secure for us, it brings, into, it brings things into perspective. Furthermore, what he has granted to us is sufficient for godliness. Like I said, the fear is that we would walk away from the Lord in these times of trials and persecutions. But God has given us what we need for godliness. Godliness is that reverence and worship of God that goes along with obedience to him. This is the, the righteous conduct in the face of adversity and trial. To persevere to the very end. And we, we know we have this because look at what Peter says. He's writing to the church. And if you look up at verse 1, and just keep in mind as you're reading this, this is Peter, the disciple of Christ. He walked with Christ on the earth during his years of ministry. He, he sat at uh, the Lord's Supper. Jesus looked at him and said, upon this rock, I will build my church. So this is the same Peter that walked with Christ, but he's writing these words. He says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. And he's writing to a church that didn't walk with Jesus during his years of ministry. It's a church that is believing through faith. It's, it's a church that's believing through the word that has come to them. But yet Peter is saying, you have the same faith as a kind of ours, the same faith as Peter and Paul. And we have been given absolutely nothing less in measure. We've been given everything. So just like what Paul says, we can say like him, for momentary and light affliction is producing for us an eternal reward. And that's what happens when we, when we realize that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We lack absolutely nothing. And this should be a calming reassurance for us. And the, ca and the case does exist that sometimes this may not always be reassuring, just knowing this. But the truth still stands, and we need to cling to that truth. We have everything that we need for life and godliness. Look at this next phrase. It says, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through the true knowledge. I only have two points in this sermon, and the first is that we have been given grace and peace by God through the true knowledge of him. This means that we can combat fear, anxiety, and worry by what God has given us in his word. We experience that grace and peace through that. And the phraseology used in verse 3 for knowledge, it's different from verse 2. In the Greek, the, the article, the, precedes knowledge in verse 3, and it doesn't in verse 2. And you're looking at the English, and it's like, the precedes both. So what's the difference? In the Greek, it adds a specificity to knowledge in verse 3. This is defining knowledge as the true knowledge, which essentially is referring to the scriptures, the word of God. This is where we find everything that we need for life and godliness. This is the infallible, inerrant, all-sufficient words of truth that we need for our Christian life. It's what 
Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy when he sees when he says scripture is breathed out by God and it's completely sufficient to equip uh, us for good works. It's what we can turn to for comfort, for wisdom, and for hope. It's the truths that we need to remind ourselves of over and over again. That's what we did, did this morning as we were singing. As we were singing those words, we were reciting the truths found in scripture. And we were reminding, reminding ourselves of that. And that's the knowledge that we cling on to as we go through the tough times of this life. So to reiterate what we've learned so far, we understood that we have been granted. So this granting is, uh, has happened in the past, but it has lasting effects to the present. So we've been granted. We've been granted everything. That means we lack absolutely nothing. We've been granted everything for life and godliness. And this life and godliness is experiencing, it's tangibly experiencing that grace and peace through life in Christ, through the ability of godliness in him. And we have been given all of this through the true knowledge. And that's the scriptures, the very words of God, the knowledge of Christ. And so now we understand that true knowledge is what leads us to grace and peace. Grace and peace are ours through the knowledge of Christ, through the life and godliness. So you may be asking, how can we know that this is actually indeed ours to possess? Are we indeed the recipients of this grace and peace? If you are a believer and you've put your faith in Christ and he is your Lord, then indeed these are yours to possess. Look at the, look at the last phrase of this verse, it says, the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Him who called. This is the effectual attracting call of salvation that we have received. The call from the presentation of Christ's work and his person as the God-man on this earth. We received that call when we came into his flock, when we were adopted as children into God's family. And he has given us this call through his glory and excellence. And it's on that cross that we see his glory and excellence most clearly manifested. It's through his resurrection that we see his glory as the God-man. The gospel is what makes that knowledge, the knowledge of that gospel is what makes life and godliness possible. It is the fact that we have been saved by God and that we are secure in God who grants everything that we need. It was secured by Christ. And this is how we can be confident that it has been granted, has been done in the past with lasting effects. It was done at the cross when Christ died for us. And it is by his divine power that we, have, we lack nothing for life and godliness to experience that grace and peace. So we're learning so far, our comfort is grace and peace. That's what we so desperately need in times of trials, in times of persecution, in times where we feel led astray by our own fears, worries, and anxieties. That grace and peace is what we need. And by clinging to his work through the knowledge of what we have in the scriptures is how we can attain it in life and godliness. So we've been redeemed, we've been equipped, and we are ready. And he has granted this all through his glory and excellence. And it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just leave us with knowledge. He gives us promises because promises is what's going to end up driving that knowledge. Promises is what's going to give us the hope. 
The promises come from that knowledge, but it also drives that knowledge into action. And so if we look at verse 4, it says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. And the these that it's referring to, for by these, is referring again to what's immediately mentioned before, his glory and excellence. So it's by his glory and excellence that we have been granted. And that's that same word that we looked in the previous word. It was done in the past, but with lasting effects to the present. By these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. And Peter could have very simply said promises, but he didn't leave it there. He said precious and magnificent. And it brings into reality of everything that we have in Christ secured by his work on the cross. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 1.20, where it says the work of Christ accounts for all the promises we receive from the Father as a result of his work. It's those promises from the Old Testament and New Testament that encompass the entire spiritual life. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit, of abundant grace, of joy, of strength, of guidance, help, instruction, wisdom, and even the promise of eternity and eternal life and eternal rewards with him. And even in Peter's own words, if you look ahead to chapter 3, verse 13, he says, But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is what Peter is referring to as the precious and magnificent promises that we are given. It is the promise of that life everlasting that we will have in the presence of the Lord. And where we are away from the lies and the deceptions of this world, away from the trials and tribulations. And this is certainly precious and magnificent. That's what we hold on to. There's such peace, peace in knowing that we are going to be dwelling in the presence of our Savior. We can bring eternity into perspective. And when eternity is in perspective, then we can have a right view of the trials that we're going through. We can have a right view of our worry, anxiety, and fear. But we need to cling on to and hold on to those promises to experience that grace and peace. So why do we have all of this? Why do we have the promises? What, what's the end result of this? So the next phrase says, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So this is going to be the end result. This is the outflow of grace and peace dwelling in us. This is the end result of being in the knowledge of Christ, of living that life of godliness, of holding on to the promises. At the end of all of this, we are partakers of the divine nature. The word here is fellowship or tabernacle, to dwell in. So we, and we get to share with what God has allowed us to partake in. This, and this fellowship is what brings forth the sweet fruit in our life. If you look ahead at verse 5 and 7, 5 through 7, we see a result of all of this. It says, now for this reason. And so this is the reason of being partakers in Christ. So now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. All these traits of the believer become a possibility as fellowship in Christ. This is what a life of godliness looks like. This is what life in godliness tangibly looks like. And in this life, there is grace and peace. 
there is that comfort. And that phrase, so that you might become, is not a future possibility. This is not something that we're hoping for. This is a present reality. This is, it's saying that it's as a result of everything that was said prior to this. This is an aspect of being children of God in the present age, that we possess eternal life as such. Because of Christ's work on the cross, we have communion with God. We have that restored relationship. And we have been bestowed gratuitously that grace and peace. Grace from God, peace with him, grace for every affliction that we may face, peace in every circumstance. These are ours because we have communion in God. And furthermore, there's promises to hold on to to lead us till the end so that we can tangibly experience that grace and peace in the promises that he has given us. And when we hold on to those promises, that's, that's what makes anxiety, worry, and fear pale in comparison. That's what Paul is writing about in Romans 8, verse 18. Listen to these, verse, listen to these words that he writes. He says, I consider that the sufferings of, the, of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is having eternity and perspective. Looking forward to next week when Pastor Patrick is back and we pick up our series in Revelation. I think it's been almost 10 months since quarantine started that we haven't uh, gone back to it. But Revelation really brings into clarity the promises that are in store for us. It says, on the other side of the coin, so we have the aspect that we are partakers in Christ, but on the flip side of the coin, we have escaped the corruption of this world. Look at this next verse. It says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So we are set apart. We have escaped because we have been granted everything that we need for life and godliness. We have been granted his, the knowledge and the promises. We have been granted life and godliness through Christ's work on the cross. And because of that, on the flip side of that, we have escaped the corruption of this world. And we may not fully experience that as we will in what Peter says in chapter 3, verse 13, when we look for the new heavens and the new earth. But even now, we are experiencing that escape from the corruption of this world. It is a present reality. Our struggle against this world is not vain because Christ has delivered us from the corruption of this world by nailing our sins to that cross. And that's what we talked about, right? Christ took on our sins and he bore that wrath, but it's not just that. He raised us to new life. And that life is life that has escaped the corruption of this world. And even in this, there is a promise that we have escaped the corruption of this world. We are no longer bonded to sin, but instead we can cling to Christ and we can experience that godliness, which is righteousness and loyalty to God, which is obedience to him. Because Christ has granted that escape to us through his work. I know we're going to go back to Revelation next week, but I think it will be helpful for us to look ahead and understand these promises and just read them and remind ourselves of what is in store for us. If you'd turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. The first four verses summarize what we've been looking at so far. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4 says, 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I see the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard the loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. This is precious and magnificent. The promises of fellowship with God in Christ, escaping the world completely. And these are the promises that have been granted to us, so graciously given to us by his divine power. And for us to cling on to the knowledge and the person of Christ. So as we're wrapping up, we stand in God as recipients of all that is necessary for grace and peace, that comfort that we so desperately need and that we're seeking. We have comfort in our minds as recipients of that true knowledge. We're recipients of those precious and magnificent promises. We have these because we lack nothing and we partake in God's divine nature and we are recipients as a result of Christ's work. We're recipients because God has granted. So what then do we do now? I said all these promises and knowledge is what gives us the grace and peace that we need. But it's not enough that we simply cling on to these words and we try to remember them as we walk uh, day to day and as we try to encounter the trials and as we try to battle our fears and our worries. Peter lays out that we have to call to remembrance this knowledge, but we have to grow in this knowledge. Peter writes 2 Peter as his last epistle, as his last words to the church. He's writing this from a prison in Rome right before he's uh, going to be executed. And in chapter 3, if you turn there with me, in his last, ver in, in his last words in verse 18, he says, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But grow in grace and knowledge. This is what we have to do. This is, this is what we must do with what we have. We must grow in our knowledge. This is the key that Peter keeps returning to over and over again in his letter to combat the deceptions and the lies, is knowing the truth. The truth is what we need so desperately to combat the lies that we experience. And so what does that look like? This means like growing in a, in a love and a knowledge of Christ. This is growing in our love for Christ so much that everything pales in comparison. Taking joy in the life that we have in Christ. Staying rooted in him so that he bears fruit through us. Every week when Pastor Patrick comes up here and he makes the announcements. He says that CBC is a church that seeks to see and savor Jesus Christ. That's our goal as a church, to see and know Christ, to love him more, to encourage one another, to love him and seek him. 
to seek his word and honor it. And that's what we do when we gather on Sundays. We're reminding each other of the truths of scripture through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs as during our time of worship. And it's what we do in the preaching of the word. We're growing in that knowledge as we're listening and implementing. Because it's that knowledge that will keep us secure and enable us to take a hold of that life and godliness. And furthermore, this also means growing in the precious and magnificent promises that we have been given, holding on to them, clinging on to them as the hope for what we need to endure and persevere. We looked at briefly at Revelation chapter 21, but that's just a fraction of all the promises that are in Scripture for what we have in Christ, for not only what's in store for us as eternal reward, but what we have right now in the present age for what we need in the spiritual life. We've been given all of these these possessions through Christ because of his work on the cross. But we can only take a hold of those promises if we know them. And so that comes from the knowledge. And so I hope you're seeing how knowledge and promises work hand in hand to lead us to grace and peace. As we close today, we're going to be singing the hymn, It Is Well. And many of you know the story of Horatius Spafford, so I won't go into depth about it, but you know that he experienced great loss. He experienced the loss of his daughters through a shipwreck in the middle of the Atlantic. He lost many of his possessions to a fire in Chicago. But when he penned the words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, he had that grace and peace from the Lord. And he had that grace and peace because of the knowledge of God. He knew the truths of scripture. He knew of what Christ had secured for him. He knew that Christ would sustain him in this life and grant him eternal life. He held on to the promises of eternal life. And so those sorrows like sea billows would roll, he could still say it is well. And that it is well is he was expressing that grace and peace that he was experiencing in Christ, in that knowledge. And so that's my prayer for us today is that as we walk away, we would experience God's grace and peace in our lives, not as a feeling or a fleeting emotion that we have, but as a truth that we cling on to through what we have learned in the scriptures, through what we know that has been laid out before us. Would you bow your heads with, in prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time you've given us to Look at what you have secured for us, so graciously granted to us by your work on that cross through your Son. You who called us by your glory and your excellence, you not only gave us knowledge, but you've given us promises to hold on to and to cling on to as we walk through this life, as we try to remain in the characteristics of godliness and holiness we know that we can't do it on our own, but we need you for every step of the way. And we thank you that you have granted to us what we need for that. We pray, Lord, that we would remind ourselves of those truths repeatedly as we dig into your word, as we sing songs, and as we speak with one another, that you'd enable us to grow in it and to hold on to it. We thank you for this time this morning. In your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.